Holy Spirit, please come and teach us and direct us now. Open truth to us so we see it, so we can hold on to it, and that we can do it. You are the one who's to lead us into all truth. Please do that today, we pray. For Jesus' honor's sake. Amen. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music. Have you got the password to the computer on the uh, backwards? It's written on the top. Yeah, there's a sticker with it on. CM194 FA UK. Capital. That's an interesting introduction. Um, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes straight on with submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, I, 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 you know, part of my way of studying the Bible is to ask questions of the Scripture. So here's my question. Why? Do we go from singing and worshipping and giving thanks to submitting to one another? Where, where's, the, where's, the, where's the connection? And the reason is one word, honour. We honour the Lord in songs and praise. And, and we honour the Lord when we're grateful and thankful and we return thanks to Him. And we honour Him and we honour one another by serving one another. Honour the Lord in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Honour the Lord in thanksgiving and gratitude. And honour others because you honour the Lord. So to tighten that right down, this, that whole section says this, leaving out honouring the Lord in worship and in thanksgiving. Be filled with the Spirit, and part of being filled with the Spirit is we submit to one another in the fear of Christ. The same Holy Spirit who will equip us to, in praise and worship and will stir our hearts in thanksgiving also equips us and leads us to honour others by serving. So we're opening a drawer of scripture here today, marked humility. Now, I don't know if you ever went to really old-fashioned kind of ironmongers, but they had a big wooden chest with lots of little drawers. And if you ask them for this size screws or that size nails, they went to the drawer and pulled some out. Yeah. And I, this is a drawer like that. I, mean, I got this off the internet, this picture. And if you imagine the Bible as being full of, of different drawers of truth, different themes and doctrines and threads, there are some that everybody wants to open. Blessing. Oh, I go for that one. <laughs> Obedience. No, neither one of them. The fact is they're very connected in God's covenants, by the way. Blessing and obedience are always connected. Here's one which I believe the modern church has thoroughly neglected. Ancient Christians knew this very well. They understood humility. Modern-day Christianity is proud and boastful and arrogant and knows almost nothing of humility. We're so we're having to pull open a drawer here that's very neglected. And one of the factors is this, that we misunderstand what the Bible says about these things. When we see the word submit or submission, we allow ourselves to be misled. Well, actually, we, all we have to do is let the devil do his work because he certainly wants to mislead us and cause us to fail to grasp the truth. We think of submission as subjugation, as humiliation, something like enslavement. I'm not submitting. But humi hum that, that's humiliation, yes. what's done to you. But humility is that you submit yourself willingly. Humility is not about self-degradation. Humility and service is how we show honour to someone else, to the Lord and then to others. And it's submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And that bridges between the general foundational script instructions in Ephesians so far about walking worthy, walking in wisdom, walking, being filled with the Spirit. And then the specific instructions will come to next week, which are about Christian, not just not the world, doesn't apply to the world, we can't make them live the way we, we, we're called to live. 
Christian husbands and wives, Christian parents and children, Christian employers and employees. We'll come to those next week. We submit to one another in honour or respect to the Lord, in the fear of Christ. Fear is a strong word. It's the highest respect. And the two are really one. If from your heart you honour the Lord and that's established in us, then honour towards others begins to be worked out because we're learning to live that way. The same is true if we replace honour with love or serve. Think about it. Respect the Lord Christ, then yourself and others. Love the Lord, then yourself and others. Remember? Two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God a little bit on Sundays. With all your heart. All your mind, all your strength. And the second, Jesus said, you will love your neighbor as yourself. So you do love yourself, but you love your neighbor as the same way and as much as you love yourself. So you're willing to sacrifice your interests, your time, to serve them. Because you love them like you love yourself. Serve the Lord Christ, then yourself and others. Here's one of my headlines. A spirit-filled, grace-fueled life will be one of honour and humility. Not one of boasting. Except to boast in the Lord. The spirit of grace leads us to honour those we're responsible for and those we're responsible to, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Grace received from the Lord is worked out in honour, graciousness and service towards others. That includes every one of our brothers and sisters, our spouse, our children, our employer, or if we're those who employ other people, and many of us do even if it's only a window cleaner, our employees. That's how Ephesians 5 and 6 go on to work through on this issue of honour and humility. How we handle other people by the grace of God that we've received. But before we go to who we're to honour, let's remember today why. Let me take you back again to this drawing. You see, it's all found within the Trinity and probably even found before there was anything made. The Father loves and honours the Son. The Son loves, honours and serves the Father. And the Spirit, oh, the blessed Holy Spirit loves and honours and serves both the Father and the Son. There is humility and service and honour within the Trinity. And as far as we know, that is eternally so. So if we are Christians, guess what? We are called to begin to bear His likeness, to become more like our Father, to become more like our Master, Jesus, to imitate and learn from the Holy Spirit. Because this is the family likeness. We're children of God, growing to become more like Him. And that's why this is so. In the same way, you younger men, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and here's the punchline, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What part of that equation do you want to be on? I don't want to be someone God resists. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. I'm going to motor on through because I don't want to spend too long stopping on things. Why choose humility? Because humility is an antidote, a powerful antidote to pride. If you get bitten by a snake, you want the, you want the antivenom. You want the antidote to save your life. Pride is terrible stuff. You need, we need an antidote to pride, and humility is it. Pride. Big I. Big ego. Big pride. Pride was the primal foundational sin. The scripture says that the, the love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. It's not every kind of evil. The root of every kind of evil is this. 
pride. And I'll prove it to you, I'll show it to you. At creation, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work, surveyed all he'd made, and declared it was very good. And he rested in joy over his creation. But sometime later, and we don't know how long later, Satan, now a fallen angel, appears in the Garden of Eden and deceives Eve and infects Adam and Eve with pride, rebellion, and sin. A fallen angel. The Jewish rabbis say that Satan rebelled after the seventh day, and I think that's fairly clear, because the, the sons of God, the angels, sang with for joy at the day of creation, says Job. But it was because, this is what the rabbis say, it was because Satan and the angels were commanded to serve Adam and Eve that, Adam, that, Eve, that, that Satan said, no way. <laughs> I think the brothers may be right in that. Scripture points in Ezekiel and so on to his Satan wanting to be like God. His heart was lifted up. He wanted to be like God. And that's the very thought he planted in the minds of Adam and Eve. He's, he's, he's holding out on you. If you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. You don't need a God. You can be your own God. And pride took root. The first thing in all creation that fell short of the glory of God was Satan's attitude and actions. And the other angels who agreed and took his side and fell with him. Fell is the wrong word. They were kicked out of heaven. <laughs> there was battle in the heavens. They were thrust out. But the next insult to the glory and goodness of God was the same attitude and actions being found in us. In man. Sin spread. And the root was pride. And it's because of this beginning of sin, the very beginning of all sin, of all evil, was pride that Paul writes this to Timothy. He, and he's speaking of an overseer, elder, bishop, pastor, that's a synonymous term, must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What's the devil condemned for? Lifting himself up to be proud and oppose God. Pride. That he, that, that he be lifted up with pride and fall under the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. One in another place in Titus says, don't lay, I think it's Titus or 2 Timothy, lay hands suddenly on no man. Don't, don't appoint someone into authority, responsibility, leadership until they've been around a while, until we've got some creases smoothed out, until there's some character been formed. Otherwise, hey, I just, you know, why? I want to say this this morning. There are any number of people in whom there's been a taste or beginning of grace but their will does not bend and they do not humble themselves. And so what they do is they go into a cycle of drawing near and pulling back, you know, being Christians and then maybe not appearing to be Christians. They claim to believe, but they can never get to grips, really, with repentance and obedience. What's the big obstacle? Pride. Pride. The big I. When we humble ourselves, we give pride a beating. I'm not, often, I'm not often recommending beatings, right? But I recommend this one. Beat up on pride by choosing to be humble. And we overcome the devil. Firstly, when we humble ourselves towards God to honour and serve him, then we humble ourselves to honour and serve others. Now, I've been reading through Proverbs. Anybody else reading through Proverbs? Same as me? Bible notes? Guess what came up in Proverbs? And I looked it up and it comes three times in Proverbs. Humility comes before honour. Not in a dictionary, in Bible. All right? Humility comes before honour. Here they are. Psalm, Proverbs 15. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honour. Chapter 18. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. 
But humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22. The result of humility is fear of the Lord along with wealth, honor, and life. The foundation is humility. You know, when something is stated plainly three times over in Scripture, it's almost like Scripture shouting at us. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. That's a principle of Scripture. And when you find it in one book, bang, 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 just a chapter apart almost, you've got to go, whoa, whoa, I, whoa, okay, yeah, got it. Humility comes before honor. Serving comes before ruling. So James, full of this biblical wisdom, says this, as we read it in Peter as well, by the way, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Everybody wants the exaltation, the advancement, the blessing, the, 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 the promotion, all these words that people th throw around at prophetic conferences. Do you know the way you get it? Not by getting the right prophecy to prophesy to you, but by humbling yourselves before the Lord. Humility brings wisdom. When pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. You see, if we're not humble in mind, heart, and by the way, those two things are synonymous in Scripture. I know Greek philosophy makes a big difference between that's your mind and that's your heart, and you know, this is this true physiologically, but you know, in Bible language, mind and heart are the same thing. There's different ways of talking about the way we, we work inside. And we're not thinking straight unless we're thinking in a certain way, which is what? Humility is an attitude of heart, a frame of mind. Now we're going to go to Jesus and let him teach us. Come to me, he says, all of you who are weary and burdened, because it was International Day last Sunday and you're still tired, and I will give you rest. All of you, take my yoke, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know how to give yourselves a break? Stop competing. My dad said years ago, only dogs get to be top dog and only rats win the rat race. You want to be the dog or the rat? or You say, I'm not even doing it. I don't need to compete. I don't need to beat anybody. You will find rest to yourselves because you opt out of the way the world behaves, the way the world is thinking. Right? I don't need to be on the rich list. Yes? Hey, that's rest. And how deep will that rest go? As deep as it goes in Jesus, if you'll follow him. If you'll learn from him. Being meek and humble in heart, you will find rest for your soul by resting from the competitive nature of the world. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. I've given you some other scriptures and notes there from the epistles as well on the same sort of thing about this mind, this attitude. I'm not going to read those to you. But Jesus invites us to follow his example, to be yoked to him, learn from him, to understand and follow his heart. That's the way he puts it. So let's go to two passages of scripture now that reveal his heart or his mind, his example. First one is Philippians 2. Jesus, our example. You see, God became man in Christ Jesus, didn't he? And there are kind of two things in that terms of observing Jesus. Number one, this is what God is like. But then number two, this is what a man looks like when he's filled with God. This is what a human being can be like when they're living as, as, as the child of God. He was the son of God, capital S. But nevertheless, in Jesus, there's an example to us as Christians of how we can be. He's our example. 
That's a bit of, again, a bit of truth that doesn't get very neglected nowadays. People, Jesus is either way up there, way beyond us, or he's like, he's just a man and everything he did was only by the Holy Spirit and he, didn't, he wasn't God at all, so you can't really see God in him. Both of those are extremes and, and wrong. We see God in Christ, we also see how we can be as we learn from him. Philippians 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Paul's making a big appeal here. He's ramping up because he's going to make a big ask. You know when people make a big ask? Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry, that competitive thing, or conceit, pride. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And then he breaks into a hymn or a poem, which goes like this. Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave or servant, taking on the likeness, the image of men. That's just pretending to be human, being truly born a human. When he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself again by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. There was quite a lot of living before the dying, but it came to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, for all of that humility, all of, from, first of all, submitting himself to serve the Father, from the, the purpose of the Father, to come and be born of the Virgin, to live, to grow, as a child, to live, to go to the cross, to enter into death and lie in the grave. For all of that reason, which is all here labelled his humility, his submission, for this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those in heaven, on earth, under the earth. I think that's the dead, that's not demons. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just stop there for a moment. In the Old Testament, it's Yahweh that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. The God, the, the, the God of Israel, Yahweh. That's his name. That's what's going to be honoured in the Old Testament. Paul daringly says here, okay, it's all changed now, folks. Do you know what? God the Father's decreed, they're not going to hear the name Yahweh. They're going to hear the name Jesus and they're going to bow down. Because God has highly exalted him. And he's given him the name, which is above every name. So when you worship Jesus, you're worshipping the God of Israel. You're worshipping Yahweh. But he hasn't finished. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's an interesting application to Jesus being highly exalted. No, because we've forgotten the first part. Jesus is highly exalted because he was humble. Humility comes before honour. And God has highly exalted Jesus because he humbled himself to serve. And therefore we need to work out our salvation. We need to learn these things with some fear and trembling, with some carefulness, with some thought. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Let me change kind of 
pace for a moment. How many of you remember the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah. Okay, it's quite an old movie now, Forrest Gump. There's a lovely phrase in there where Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump says, friendly is as friendly does. Mm. Let me give you a new one this morning. Humble is as humble does. Humility is an attitude, but if it is become an action, it's just meaningless. I'm going to have to go to John 13, and I hope I can get through it without getting too emotionally entangled. You remember this great descent of Jesus and humility described in Philippians 2. Here is where Paul's words, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, gets put into action literally before well, before the disciples' eyes, but as John's recorded for us, and before our, the imagination of our hearts and minds as well. We can see Jesus doing this. Humble is as humble does. Before the Passover festival, which is, of course, when Jesus is going to be killed, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon, is, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and that he'd come from God, and that he was going back to God. He knew who he was. We sang the song earlier. I know who I am. Jesus knew who he was, the eternal Son of God. He knew who he knew his dignity, he knew his identity. He had no doubt about that. But look at the next verse. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. When they'd arrived at that supper, everybody had dirty feet, but nobody wanted to do the washing. Nobody wanted to be the servant. So Jesus, knowing absolutely who he was, where he'd come from, where he was going, gets up and does it. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Meaning, I'm not going to let you do that. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you'll know. You'll never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So impetuous Peter then goes on to say, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head then. <laughs> wash the whole thing, please. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You're not all clean, though. Not all of you are clean. For he knew who would betray him. That's why he said, you're not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again at the food table and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Do you get it? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Now some Christian denominations have rituals of foot washing. They treat it as being, this is an institution of a ceremony. I don't, we, most of us don't think it's an institution or a ceremony, but it's an example of a, of a whole way of life. A visual illustration of a profound way of life. Choosing to take the humble choice. Choosing to serve rather than be served. Then he goes on. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master. And a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Humble is as, with or without a Southern American accent, yeah. Humble is as humble does. The disciples all knew their feet needed to be washed, but no one was willing to do it. They should have known, because not long before this, they'd heard this. There's a lovely bronze statue somewhere in America, I think, of Jesus washing people's feet. There was a dispute among them. As they're going to Jerusalem to Passover week, there was a dispute among them about who should be considered the greatest. It, it particularly centered around James and John in the other Gospels. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors or maybe even boss. But it must not be like that among you. Oh, how I wish I could preach that to the whole church of Christ. Jesus warns people not to lord it over their fellow Christians. And Peter picks up the words of Jesus very fiercely in one of his letters about that. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving the table? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Are you up for this, says Jesus? Do you want to learn from me? Then you need to have a whole attitude which says, the way the Gentiles think about leadership and authority and, and being in in, in command of something, in control of something, is completely false, completely wrong. It starts with serving. Humility comes before honor. The whole style of a great deal of Christian leadership, so-called, is profoundly wrong. Much of it misses the mark because it doesn't do this that Jesus said. I want you to think something else about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I'll put it this way. Nothing was beneath Jesus. He didn't stand on his dignity, didn't stand on, his, on ceremony, as we sometimes say. He washed his disciples' feet because it needed doing. It was part of that Philippians 2 trajectory. Jesus humbled himself again and again. But nothing was beneath Jesus. The men's toilet was blocked last uh, Sunday. And in my head, when I was coming in during the week, I was going to have a look at that and fix it, but someone beat me to it. God bless that person. Nothing was beneath Jesus. And yet some people, oh, no, no. That's not for me. Yeah? Oh, someone else has got to do that. Nothing was beneath Jesus. Do you want to wash somebody's feet covered in camel dung? Dirt and mess and... <laughs> you know, not protected by nice leather shoes and socks. I mean, these are feet that have been in the dirt and the dung all day long. Needed doing. Jesus didn't even stop to think about it. Got up, took his coat off, his outer garment, wrapped a towel around him called the water. And all the time, somebody there, you know, 12 of them, well, 11 discounting Judas, could have said, no, 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 Lord, I'll do it. <laughs> they just watched him. They let him do it. Now the Father has highly exalted him. Let me make another point here. Jesus did not discuss or debate washing feet and he didn't call a planning meeting. He just did it. One part of serving is our attitude, the other is action. Humble is as humble does. Taking responsibility, taking initiative, just getting it done without fuss, without palaver. I wrote this. I, I may need to revise this when I think about it some more. But let me, I wrote this. Jesus is an example, not just of Christian leadership, 
and even of being a Christian man, but of simply being a Christian. This should be the attitude which was in us, which is, was in Christ Jesus, who had, was full of dignity and full of identity, yet did not think for a moment about sacrificing his rights to take responsibility. Didn't question it. This attitude, this attitude. That's how to be a Christian, folks. To follow Jesus. Humility does not claim rights, but accepts responsibility. God the Son was equal with God the Father, yet set aside his rights to serve. Jesus was master in the upper room, and the disciples were his followers, but when feet needed to be washed, he set aside his rights and took responsibility and served. It's an interesting thing, this word responsibility. It's now current out there in the Twitter realm and, you know, media and books, and books are being published. You know, there's, lots of, there's always self-help books, aren't there? They, the problem is they say the same thing, or they say completely opposite things. Like dieting. You find a diet that tells you to do this, and you find a diet that tells you to do that. Which you do? You know, whichever you prefer, really, because they, they, they're, they're pandering to you one way or the other. So some of the self-help books out there, and I talk, talk about this thing of respect. I think somebody wrote, again, you know, 20 things you need to know to get through life. And on an interview on the radio, I said, pick out one of them. Pick out one of them. And he said, okay, okay, I'll pick out one of them. Take responsibility for everything you can. He picked out that as number one. Take, choose to take responsibility for everything that you can. So well, that's interesting. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. Others say take responsibility for your own life and everything that happens to you. Don't put on a victim mentality. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to deal with this because I'm, you know, I'm going to take responsibility for my, for my life. That's human wisdom. And the Bible does say love yourself, but it also says love God first, and then it says love others as you love yourself. So if a Christian loves and serves God, then they then love themselves and others. So Bible wisdom, to kind of connect, connect the, the, the wisdom of this world that's going around, says this. Take responsibility to see that what needs to be done to serve others gets done. Take responsibility to see that it happens. To make it happen. To get it done. Without fussing about it. Without debating and discussing and disputing. Don't blame other people. Take responsibility. Get it done. That's what Jesus did. Totally practical. He didn't utter a word, he just did it. But as I said, one of the disciples could have said, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll do it. But they didn't. Jesus took responsibility and led by example. In servanthood. Messy, washing feet, servanthood. If we're to live as Christians, not just churchgoers, but followers of Jesus, we've got to learn humility, service, honour, respect and accountability from him. And from others we can see doing it. But nobody is our real final model or example because we're all flawed. Only Jesus is the true final real deal. We're not greater than our master who humbled himself to be the servant first of the Lord and then even of his disciples. He served them. He made himself their servant calls us to do the same. The reason I'm saying these things is because when we get into Ephesians 5 and 6, from first 22 onwards, there are instructions coming up. In fact, they're coming up next week. If I don't preach it next week, it'll have to be well into the summer. Husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees, and those very verses have been used by some people as a stick to beat others. You've got to do this. The minute anybody does that, they've missed the point of this. Absolutely, totally missed it. The point of this is how you honour. How you support and serve. How does a Christian husband honour his wife? How does a Christian wife honour her husband? 
How does a Christian parent honour and raise their child? I use the word honour because it's included in the submit, honour one another. How does a parent honour and raise a child? Has a child honour their parents? Get into it next week. How does a Christian employer treat those who work for him? Including the people who come to your house and do stuff. How does someone who's employed by someone honour the person who pays their salary and for whom they have to do a good day's work? And it's all in this same framework of the mindset, the attitude and the actions that go with the mindset. It's all in this foundation. This draw marks humility. This draw, we could say, honour and humility. They come out of this. They, they're founded in this, which is why this week I'm digging this foundation. Because it's going to build an understanding of Christian families and Christian employment whether you're an employer or employee. You need to understand at a heart level, this is about honour. This is about service. This is about respect. This is about treating other people with dignity as I would wish to be treated with dignity. I'm going to finish here with a quote from St. Augustine. Famous uh, North African theologian. Do you know that North Africa was a hotbed of Christianity centuries ago? It was. So Augustine said this, Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. He's just summarising biblical wisdom. In that drawer that didn't get opened for a long time perhaps until we've looked at it today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your name is highly exalted and we, we are very good at rejoicing about that. But we forget the reason it is highly exalted is because of your humility. You have received the greatest and highest honour there could possibly be because you so humbled yourself. Beginning, it seems, even before creation, being set apart to be before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Serving the purpose of the Father, coming to be born, well, to be conceived in the womb of the Virgin, laying aside your rights as God the Son, serving the Father, learning as a child and a young man. Oh, such humility, such service. We are perhaps most moved when we see it acted out in that upper room, but the lessons go deeper and further than that. We pray, Lord Jesus, teach us what it is to take your, your yoke upon us and learn of you, and, and learn of you not just by doing stuff, but by heart level. As we do, so we change. We pray that we might be formed more after your likeness, to become more like you. We acknowledge the shaping power of the circumstances of life, the challenges of life. I pray we won't resist those things which pressure us into conformity, but rather embrace them. I'm becoming more like Jesus by going through this, and I'm certainly becoming more like Jesus by choosing to serve when the opportunities are there. May the Father have many sons, which includes daughters, who are formed after this family likeness of honour and service and humility. We bless Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. We're going to break bread together. Uh, would four people come up and help us to serve it? I haven't picked anybody. I need to get into my head. We need to do this regularly. We're going to play some music as we break bread together. Uh, fellowship with one another. We'll also be willing to pray for anybody who wants to ask for prayer. Come forward and pray for you. I'll get Carol to pray with you. I'll find other people as well to come and pray with you if we need to. And uh, we're going to just uh, spend these next few minutes, 10 minutes, and then the children will be coming back in. And uh, need to warn the young people, they've got about 10 minutes before, 10 minutes before they need to come back in. And uh, then the children will come in and they'll do something for Father's Day for us. But let, we've got these minutes together. Let's embrace the Lord together. You see, you know, after he'd washed their feet and so on, and, and uh, you know, after they'd eaten, he did this. He took bread. When they'd eaten, this is my body which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me, eat of it. And then he, after, after the whole meal, when they'd finished all the, the, the ritual cups of wine that went with the meal, he picked up another cup and said, this cup, this last cup, is the new covenant made in my blood. Drink, drink of it. I'm not going to drink of, the wine, of, of wine again until I've, the kingdom of God comes. Whether he drank wine with them after his resurrection, I'm not sure whether that was when, when it came. But we'll see. Jesus, we thank you for your emblems you gave us. We acknowledge that this is a, a commemoration, something we're to do again and again. Until you come, until we see you, until we are feasting not with emblems around what we call the Lord's table here, but at our Father's table in the completed kingdom of God. We embrace the opportunity again to receive from you and be joined to you through faith as we act this out. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys and ladies over here. We'll play some music. Please come out and uh, take the emblems. Come for prayer if you want to. We're happy to do that. Son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to 
take away my sin then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art